This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with Providence City Council candidate, Kat Kerwin. Kat Kerwin is a Providence native and Democratic candidate for the Ward 12 seat on the Providence City Council. She will likely join what will be the first majority female council in city history and at 21 years old will bolster millennials influence in City Hall. All right, just 12 days until the general election. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Bartholomew Town podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume content. You may also find each of our in-depth interviews with Rhode Island politicians, media members, artists, and beyond at BartholomewTown.com or RIPodcast.com. And hey, Rhode Island, be sure to stay with the Bartholomew Town podcast all the way through the general election and beyond. Find out who these characters are before you go vote for them. Go beyond the headlines. Take a deep dive. Why not? By the way, I just launched a dedicated Bartholomew Town Instagram. All sorts of fun content going up there. We got videos we're going to be posting, behind the scenes stuff, some of the print articles I'm writing. It's at Bartholomew Town on Instagram. We'll see you out there. All right, let's get right to it. She's got some fresh ideas to bring to the Providence City Council, the one and only Kat Kerwin. All right, so we are here at the Loft in Elmwood, just a couple of weeks away from Election Day, and barring some kind of bizarre upheaval of sorts, Kat Kerwin, you will be on the Providence City Council. How does that feel? Thanks for having me, Bill. It feels really crazy. Um, You know, I think something that I realized pretty early on after uh, my opponent didn't get enough signatures to be on the ballot is that a lot of people probably didn't expect that this would be the outcome. Right. I mean, it it happened um, in terms of your primary victory. It had to do with um, basically not knowing the boundaries of the the ward, essentially. Um, Your opponent wasn't got what several signatures outside several dozen signatures outside of the ward and as a result um wasn't able to make the ballot but in the days immediately following the primary um or pardon me the nomination period uh reached out to you and you guys are now on the same team is that a pretty fair statement yeah that's a fair statement um councilman hassett has been a lot of help um and he immediately wanted to sit down and talk to me and um i think he'll be a great source for a lot of good institutional knowledge going forward now you're um you're on the younger end of the spectrum in terms of people who are in politics i think that's an incredibly healthy and important thing it it is essential to democracy always but especially right now in my opinion what do you think you're going to bring to the council that's going to you know besides the ooh wow we have a young 20s female in here instead of some old guy you know mm-hmm. as it, as it would had been for decades um you have a majority female council now um newer voices younger voices what is that going to translate to in terms of Providence's future? Yeah, um, I think the elephant in the room is often that I'm 21 years old and people, uh, I think, have mixed feelings about my age and um, how I was able to kind of um, catch this seat. Um, so I think what it means really is that uh, this sort of diversity that I'm bringing to the table in terms of my age um, as a non-traditional candidate um, is really interesting because I think I have a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different perspectives than um, some of my colleagues. You know, um, 
I'm in the position to be a renter and I don't see myself buying a house in the near future. So I'm thinking a lot about how we can be making Providence affordable for people that are just renting. I'm thinking about how we can make sure this is a city that's attractive to young people and young people can imagine themselves staying here and somehow investing in the city in the long run, buying a house here, um, making roots here. Um, You know, thinking about things like uh, how we can afford afford to stay here um, as millennials, how we can get jobs here as young people are a lot of things that I think that older generations don't have to think about in politics because they're more established. Um, So I think that's a really special thing. And yeah, also we have an eight woman majority, uh, which is an absolutely huge, huge accomplishment. Um, And I think that we'll really see that pay off in the next council. Yeah, there's no question about it. In terms of millennials, you know, I'm on the back end of the spectrum, but I am a millennial myself, and I can certainly say that there are very few high-quality jobs for someone like me anyway. Um, I'm not capable. I'm certainly capable, but I don't work in construction or anything like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So as far as jobs that are really, you know, exciting and pay well, you know, for someone like me, I don't see a lot out there um, personally in Providence, and I think it's because the industries that provide those types of jobs aren't here in Providence. So what can the council do in the next session to sort of plant the seeds for attracting economic growth that not only is bringing money to the city and and, and strengthening the city economically, but also creatively and and providing jobs to make people want to stay in Providence? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that Providence is kind of at a crossroads right now. What we're seeing is a lot of big developers and um, a lot of bigger companies, too, are looking at our city and wanting to come here. And I think that, yes, we should make sure we're an attractive city for um, development. And yes, we should make sure we're an attractive city to business. Um, But we also need to be cautious. You know, we have so much land in our downtown area that is ready to be developed. We have this huge I-95 parcel. And I think the best thing we can do right now as a council is to be very very, very skeptical about the companies, the developers that we let come into our city, because this is really a, a, a once in a generation opportunity for our city. We don't always have the resource of this abundant area of land right in our downtown area. Um, and I think that to just give it away without a lot of thought about um, whether this land will bring long-term jobs, whether this land will come with a promise of affordable housing in other areas of the city um, would be a really big disservice. Well, let's get right to it then. The Fane Tower, where do you stand on that? You know, is it um, is it a design issue that if you're opposed to it, or is it just the, you know, the, the privatization of it, the exclusive, the fact that it would be exclusively funded with private, with private monies? Is that a problem for you at all? As it stands, I'm opposed to the Fane Tower. Um, it's not as much of a design issue for me. Um, I recognize I'm not an architect. I'm not an artist, so I don't really want to comment on um, structurally how it um, looks. But kind of uh, it coming to Providence on this land, I said, the I-95 land that I think is really, really precious is a, um, a big issue for me. I think that that parcel needs to be a place where um, we're going to either see some sort of investment in our community or some sort of investment in long-term jobs. And I think that, yes, it would be huge to have a thousand, however many thousands of jobs in the short term to build that tower. But I think no matter what, something is going to be built there and there will be jobs and 
building whatever's built there. And I think that this tower and investing not in um, the community, but investing in high end luxury apartment um, housing uh, isn't really going back to Providence. Um, And I think that it would be better used as a public space. It would be better used as a site for a company that wants to put its headquarters in Rhode Island. Um, And uh, I think that we need to be being really skeptical about the developers that we're letting into our city. Yeah, it's sort of the it's it's not really the chicken or the egg, which came first situation It's the horse before the carriage. If you don't have the jobs here in Rhode Island to keep someone who would rent a luxury tower apartment or condo purchase whatever it is um that person's probably working in boston and they're just living in providence you know they're sleeping in providence but they're going somewhere else to work right so they're probably more invested in many ways outside of the city i mean that's the case in stanford connecticut or any sort of other you know satellite uh housing location for uh, a major city and that's kind of the danger providence could become secondary to boston even more if you let those sort of luxury apartments go in without having jobs and a complete city for people to experience when they're living in those apartments. Mm-hmm. You're um, absolutely right. And what we saw when Providence built the Water Place Towers, for example, um, which are luxury condos in the Water Place um, Park area, is that those condos were originally not being sold. They were priced way too high and they sat empty for years. And they what they had to do eventually, the owners of these condos were just slash the prices. Right. Um, and I'm really concerned that we'd see something similar. We um, would see a Fane Tower built and we would see a huge investment from the city, maybe in a TSA, because I think it's very likely that uh, Mr. Fain would come back and ask for millions of dollars in um, tax cuts and tax credits from the city. And so we would have seen that investment. We would have seen um, that loss in tax money only for the building to be sitting empty or being filled with um, people that are commuting and not investing in our community. Sure. Um it, they're they're sort of tied together. One of the other hot button issues in Providence right now revolves around Richard Gardner, Gardner, who was convicted in the late 80s of kidnapping and sexually assaulting three young boys between the ages of six and 10 in Warwick. He served 30 years in Massachusetts and was released and is now living on New York Avenue in the Washington Park uh, neighborhood of Providence. This is created protests outside of Mr. Gardner's residence, even outside of the wedding that he had this past weekend in Cranston. Um, It's sort of a two-sided issue because obviously this person has committed monstrous crimes and I certainly wouldn't want to live next to him. At the same time, the city has hundreds of sex registered sex offenders here within the city limits living here. So how do you manage this? It seems like Washington Park is constantly a dumping ground for undesirable people and situations. And yet at the same time, how do you protect uh, Mr. Gardner's constitutional rights? Yeah, it's a really tough question. And I think you kind of hit it the nail on the head in that analysis. You know, um, I think most residents of the city would agree they wouldn't want Mr. Gardner in their neighborhood as their neighbor. Um, And it's true. Neighborhoods um, like uh, the one that he's living in often do get the short end of the stick and do um, kind of get the the unfair treatment and having people like Mr. Gardner be their neighbors. Um, You know, I think it's a really complex issue. And I think that um, I totally support the neighborhood if what they feel they need to do is uh, the ordinance that Councilman Aponte has introduced. Um, 
for him to not live in the area. Um, and, you know, if that's what the community is calling for, I think that's what needs to happen. Right. It's it's I mean, there's no way to actually solve this problem at this point, you know, in general, right. because once he's gone, the next person will come in and until we have utopian level equality i mean you're always going to have these types of issues but what about the specifics of some of the neighborhoods that have received the short end of the stick consistently washington park comes to mind other portions of south providence even out here in elmwood things like bike lanes are sort of they're here but they're nowhere near as well designed or consistent as other parts of the city how can the council as a whole representing wards that are not included necessarily in, in the, the neighborhoods I just mentioned, as you would. How can you piece the city back together to try to make it one Providence instead of two distinctly different cities? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that's something that um, I hear a lot from my constituents on Smith Hill is that people often feel disenfranchised with the city. They feel like um, sometimes that the city plans and city development doesn't reach Uh, our communities and they really are targeted at um, the downtown area and at the east side and I think that something we can do to remedy that is make sure that we're focusing right now in the moment on trying to bring um, the right kind of development and the right kind of city planning and um, uh, urban planning to neighborhoods that aren't in the downtown and east side area. Um, you know, bringing bike lanes across the city, uh, you know, making sure that public parks are um, robust and are safe and are clean across the city and making sure that the public spaces are really equal yeah. is one of the best ways to remedy that. I agree with that. I referee soccer is one of my, I've been doing it forever since I was in like middle school. But if you want to go see the lack of equality in just within the city of Providence, you know, become a soccer referee or go watch just different schools play in some of the facilities that they have at their disposal, you will see that there clearly is not equality in the condition of the city's parks across the different neighborhoods. I mean, anybody can do that. Just go for a walk, you know, whether it's trash or just the maintenance of it or the vibe, you know, there's something, there's a disconnect there. So that's why I'm excited that new voices are on the council that are, they're not just talking about this, but they seem like, I feel like millennials understand this. There's not a lot of things that I think that we're uniquely positioned to understand, but somehow I think we're able to be more empathetic in a way to those around, to those around us and, and those beyond our day to day lives. You know what I mean? And I hope that that extends to Providence from the from the new council, you know? Right. I completely agree. And I think that a strong advocate at the city level often lends itself to the best public spaces and the best parks and the most city services. And so that's something that I'm committed to doing is making sure um, I'm a loud voice for Smith Hill. We've seen um, this year has been highlighted this the rift, if you will, within the Democratic Party. Uh, in Rhode Island, nationally, wherever, the left, right, within the party. Um, I go back and forth on whether or not there even really is such a thing. You know, you have Sam Bell, who is in many ways the leader of the progressive movement. He was at one point the head. Now he's running as a prominent progressive. Yet during the Columbus Day Parade, he marched alongside Jack Reed and Sheldon Whitehouse to fairly conservative members of the caucus. Um, So I wonder if there really is such a thing. What's your feeling? Is there this struggle within the Democratic Party, left and right? Or does everyone feel like, hey, we've got to band together here for a common good, if you will? 
I absolutely think there's a divide in the Democratic Party, and I think it's um, not more evident anywhere than right here in Rhode Island. Um, what comes to mind really for me is always Speaker Mattiello and how um, the party, the Democratic Party of Rhode Island, has stood behind him. Um, you know, I think that uh, he is one of the biggest problems of the party, and I think that um, – when he inevitably is either unelected or loses the speakership, it's going to be a different Democratic Party here in Rhode Island. Um, but I think that there is a future without um, Speaker Mattiello where we can unify. And I think we will. Um, you know, I think it's important uh, for there to be competitive elections always, which is a good thing to democracy, but also the party supports each other. The party doesn't primary strong candidates who are um, incumbents, women of color. Um, you know, the Marcia Wrangland vassals, um, seeing the Maura Walsh, the Janine Kalkins get primaried um, really by leaders of their own party was so disheartening um, to me as a woman can't progressive candidate. And I think uh, to many people who um, who are members of the Democratic Party who really felt disenfranchised by the speaker and his um, cronyism in that moment. Yeah, I I feel like there's at times I, I think there's going to be a complete realignment within certainly within our lifetimes, but within our youth, you mm-hmm. know, there's going to be some kind of change. The third parties in the state haven't really been able to make any movement. Obviously, Bob Healy, four years ago, got 22% as a moderate in the gubernatorial race. But generally speaking, it's a democratically held state. So you wonder who will be the first blue chip progressive candidate to break off as an independent or as a new party, whatever they want to call it, and win a main, whether it's the governor's race or get to Congress, whatever it is. But once that happens, do you feel like the floodgates will open? And would you follow suit to the left if a new party emerged? That's a good question. And it feels like such an impossible, um, an impossible scenario right now that it's hard to imagine. Um, I think that a two-party system has a lot of flaws. Um, But right now, I'm comfortable advocating for a better Democratic Party. And I think that's what we need to do Um, in the moment. We need to work with what we have because that I know inevitably um, there will be change. But I think that we do have leaders in our party that are willing to fight, are willing to do things like um, call aggressively for a higher minimum wage, um, advocate for rights of LGBTQ folks, um, people who believe that we need to work on environmental change, people that see that Black Lives Matter and we need police um, reform. But, you know... In the moment, I think we need to make sure the party sees this and work with what we have. Right. I guess the flip side of that would be, would it be better to see a Nick Mattiello, uh, Joe DiLorenzo, anyone from this brand, if you will, which is a humongous amount of the Democratic Party? Would it be better to see them just say, you know what? The gimmick's over. We're going to just identify as Republicans going forward. And then you guys can actually have your party back. Do you feel like that would be a better solution, even if it meant the Dems having less of a stranglehold on Rhode Island politics? Yes, I do think so. I think that um, I myself, I don't feel comfortable being part of a party that has such a big tent that, you know, 
members of our party don't believe in reproductive health for women and don't believe in economic justice and other really, really essential issues, really issues around human rights and not even um, just political things. Uh, So, yeah, I feel often that as a party, if we're going to survive, we need to make sure that the tent is inclusive, but it's not so big that it excludes um, issues that really matter and that we need to be fighting for. Yeah, because I mean, there's a there's a healthy debate to be had between someone who's a progressive Democrat and a conservative Democrat, especially around issues like single payer health care and things like this. If you take a look, I've used the McKee example. There's flaws for someone who you know, believes in the progressive litmus test, they'll look at a Dan McKee and say, wow, you know what, X, Y, and Z, I'm not so sure I agree with you. But by and large, a McKee represents almost the same positions as someone who's a self-identified progressive. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do you, how do you create a party where you can have dialogue, but like you say, these human rights issues aren't on the table. I don't understand why that's so hard to do, but for some reason it is. You have people who are filled with hatred and ignorance and um just obsessed with themselves you know within the democratic party and that's like a nick mattiello whose own personal race in district 15 shapes how he operates the state you know um so i'm sick of it too i guess that's my thing i just (laughs) there's no question about it but that struggle is important i think you know you have to have some debate it's just too wide of a tent right now in rhode island and most i think most people at home that aren't part of the political or social discourse um, in the state that don't read the newspaper or whatever, um, you know, even if they just watch the evening news or whatever it is, I don't even know if they know who Nick Mattiello is, most people, you know what I mean? I wonder, how do you make politics more appealing to the average person? Yeah, I think I think you're totally right. Um, some of these really powerful roles, you know, the House Speaker, the House Majority Leader, the Senate President, um, they kind of go unnoticed. Um, And I think that's actually something that benefits those uh, folks in leadership because they're not getting the same level of media attention often um, outside of the Politico realm. Um, They're able to get away with more. and, And they're able to do... I think to accept money from big corporate lobbyists and they're able to do things like give their friends jobs in high positions and um, and kind of operate under the same realm of corruption that uh, that Rhode Island politics has lent itself to for a long, long time. Yeah, that's it's such an ugly thing to have as, you know, as I've traveled and whatever. That's something that um Rhode Island is known for certainly the CNC Operation Plunder Dome, then Crime Town. That all reinforced it. But um, you know, we have that same reputation as old school Chicago politics, that sort of boss reputation. And then you look at how blue the state supposedly is, and you go, "Wait a second! Can we just take it back tomorrow?" And I think we can. It's just got to engage people and, and and somehow make them aware i feel like you're you'll have that advantage though because you're able to connect with at least at the city council level you're you'll be able to be, be authentically involved in the community you represent you know what's your what's your take on that you know being out and about at not just making appearances but you actually live in the community still and you're you don't go to bed at 
seven o'clock, I would assume, you know? Right. <laughs> um, I, I think that, you know, understanding and recognizing this history of corruption and kind of wanting to change it is, um, is an important first step. And I think they're, you're right. Uh, the state is blue. And I think a lot of people in Rhode Island, um, don't realize, uh, that, there still things are kind of operating under um in a similar way as they used to in a lot of ways but there also is change happening and i think we have people um in our communities in the city specifically behind us who want to see um a different sort of um of way of politicking for lack of a better word you know i think mayor lorza has done a really good job at um trying to make the city more ethical with open providence and, you know, having public um, meetings so frequently and really kind of trying to make ethics one of his number one priorities. Um, Because we do have to kick this, uh, this notion that if you want something done in providence, you know, a guy. Um, And I think we will. I think that the majority of my constituents at least um, want to have healthy community discussion and want to be have a seat at the table and they will. And we have to make sure that, you know, we get out and vote on November 6th, but also in primary elections, which is really the main push in Rhode Island. And we think about the Democrats that we're electing. Last couple of questions. Um, what's your favorite restaurant in Providence? Uh, tough one. It's so tough. Um <laughs> I got to say Los Andes. It's in Ward. Um, Uh Yeah, for sure. Keep it in Ward. (laughs) (laughs) Always keep it in Ward. Uh, Recently, Dan McGowan tweeted um, a link with some outside news uh, publication had named one of the best pizza places in Providence as coal fire pizza. And I just had to disagree. I thought that that was absolutely ridiculous. I'm a huge pizza fan. See, I would like to see this actually play itself out where each ward, you know, brings a representative and there's some kind of challenge, interactive, people can come out, meet their, their, uh, council person, you know, mm-hmm. and, and things like this could actually happen. And so of course, competition is so bad too, because then, you know, how do you actually decide who has the best pizza? Yeah. But, it's all, know. it's all debatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about musically, artistically right now? Um, I'm, I'm a musician, singer, songwriter. That's actually my not my day job, that's my night job, but that's my primary thing. Um, and I find Providence to be a very good place to be a musician. I won't say excellent, but I would say it's a very good place of the places I've traveled nationally. I feel like there's a, there's, um, there are some pockets of what, it, what appear to be like the cool kids table back in middle school, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, where groups of buddies kind of are very closed off. That certainly exists here. At the same time, there's a lot of opportunity to interact with different types of art, different levels of art. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think that Providence has a really incredible cultural scene, um, both art and music-wise, for a city as big as ours. Um, and that's something I'm really proud of. I think that we have um, we have organizations like AS220 doing great work in trying to house artists and um, make sure artists are in the downtown area. Um, and that's so exciting, I think, for for our city. I um, I recently um, saw one of my constituents who's an Arc Iris play at the Columbus, and I hadn't been at the Columbus Is in that years. Josie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Um, and so it's one of those things. I love being able to have friends in all these different networks. And when the city's so small, you get to meet so many people. Um, and I think that's really special. 
As always, thank you for listening to the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.